Jesus, maybe we haven't honored you this week. Jesus, maybe we haven't honored you today to this point. But God, we thank you that your mercies are new. And Jesus, that you have the biggest reset button. And when we come to you with repentant hearts and ask for forgiveness, we know that's what you want. You don't want our offerings. You don't want our words. You don't even really want our actions. You want our hearts. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would help me now to lay those things down. Lord, that I would honor you with my life. Lord, that we would honor you with our life. And Lord, when we stumble and when we fall, Lord, help us back up like you do. Lord, we're so grateful that you are the kind of God that you are that doesn't leave us alone. So God, I pray that as we study your word, as we wrap up First John, Jesus, that your word would sit down deep in our hearts, that it would cultivate the soil in us. Lord, that we would reap a harvest. Jesus, that we would not look at your word and walk away, but that we would look at your word and be changed and be moved. God, we love you, and we're grateful for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Amen. traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength, and in the hole he remained. something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free.
him to the pen. He took hold of the man and dragged him into the light. Yet himself out was saved. There was a man in a hole. You know, we all start out in that hole, unable to save ourselves, looking for something. I, I think probably most everybody in our culture today is looking for something. And, and what a great illustration of some of those some things that, that people are offered as a way out of the hole, as a way of receiving significance in life. Uh, some might even call it salvation. Salvation by reincarnation, salvation by nirvana, salvation by believing somehow that you're not really real. I had a roommate once that said, we're, what if we're just all really souls in a vat and God is just manipulating us to believe that we're people here on earth interacting with each other? kind of thinking is that, really? But there are people, and, and maybe you're sitting here this morning, and, and you know that you're in the hole, and, and you've been trying to somehow get yourself out of the hole. We saw last week, in, in the messages we looked at 1 John chapter 4, that, that the world truly believes that many people in our culture that, that salvation, that, that significance in life, that, that getting out of the hole is found in ourselves. It's, it's, it's within us. We just have to find it. And we saw biblically, as John pointed out, that that's not true. It's not true. And if you have missed any of the messages in this series, I would, I would encourage you to go to our church website and, and listen to them, starting with First John chapter 1, and then chapter 2, and then chapter 3. I trust that as you come on Sunday mornings and you leave with the for further study in your hands that you are taking the time this week to read through the rest of the chapter that, that we don't cover on Sunday morning. And I, I hope that you're doing that to get the full uh, impact of the book of First John. Now John was writing in a day when there were a lot of people who had, who had infiltrated the very church that, that they were in and were teaching them things that weren't true. Uh, John refers to them in, in this book as wolves in sheep's clothing. He says that, that they were once a part of us, but never one of us. Their sole purpose was to deceive us with things that weren't true. And John says, I'm writing you this so that you will know, so that you will know the truth. In verse 13, uh, if you would turn to First John chapter 5, uh, these verses are going to be on the screen as well, but I, I would rather you look it up in, in your Bible or in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you. First um, John chapter 5, verse 13, John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. He's writing to a specific people, those of you who believe in the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. John says, all that I've pointed out throughout this letter uh, towards you is for this purpose. So that you can be sure, so that you can know that you have eternal life. And, and let's not look at that word life in just cursory form. Because when we, when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, eternal life begins that day. That life begins John has been focusing on three subjects throughout the book. Faith, love, and evidence, or fruits 
of this faith and love that's in our life. Last week we looked at the unbelievable, amazing, unconditional love that God has for us. He adopts us into His family. Yucky, sinful, failing, weak, easily strayed us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And my invitation to us last week was to be connected to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. May that become more true for us each day. We tap into this love that God has for us. He loved us first so that we can be loved, so that we can love God, and so that we can love each other. And it all gets its source from Jesus Christ. And if we're trying to get that from any other source, it will always come up short. It will always come up short. Now, we live in a culture that gets its lifeblood out of experience. What do I experience today? How did that thing make me feel? What I believe, I believe what I experience. So really, these experiences become truth for us. Truth that's based and becomes our individual reality. I've been accused more than once of living in an alter-reality. But when, when we think this way, that's really what happens. And with this individual reality, our culture then thinks like this. Whatever is true for me is truth. What, whatever I see and whatever I experience, that is truth for me. Now, it may not be truth for you. Okay, you may have a different truth. But whatever is truth for me is truth. And heaven forbid if I looked at you and shared with you and talked with you and tried to convince you that somehow you should buy into my truth. You know, that's just unacceptable. I I tried to think of an illustration of this, and the the best illustration that I could come up with this week was, was, you know, we've done a lot of construction around here. Over the years, we've done a lot of construction around here. And once in a while, um, we'll have guys show up on a project, and there's two instruments that are pretty important when you're building something. A level and a tape measure. And once in a while, we would find that a guy brought a tape measure that had a mistake in it, and it didn't measure the same as all the other tape measures. And we found that that when it it came to using a level, if different guys brought levels, we didn't let each guy use his own level. We picked one. Because it always seemed that every level measured just a little bit differently. Right? Well, if you use different levels and you use tape measures that are measuring different and you build the same wall, it's not going to turn out so well. In fact, there were a few walls that ended up that way anyway. Right? Um, Take a square into your house and see if every corner is square. Uh Uh-uh. It's not that way. But there has to be a standard of measurement. There has to be a truth when it comes to measurement, when it comes to, to something being level. And that's what John is teaching us today. That's what we're going to see today. It's not my reality versus yours or my experience versus yours. It's what is truth. So first of all, I want to point out something that is very, 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 very important. Okay? I could only memorize eight varies. So... um, Look at the person sitting next to you. Think of all the people that you know. This is true for every person that's ever walked the earth, and it's true for every person that ever will. Now listen. 
They are all eternal beings. Now, we think that, that, you know, that life has an end. And there are people out there who would say, oh, once you die, it's over. You just cease to exist. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. Every living, breathing human being on the planet is going to live forever. Now, that forever isn't on this earth. We know that to be true. But the Bible says that every knee will bow, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, the, the hitch here is we're all in this hole. We are all eternally in this hole unless something happens. And if we die and that something hasn't happened, we live eternally in the hole. The Bible calls that hell. If, if we put our faith and trust and surrender our life to Jesus Christ, we're going to see, then that eternity will be spent with Him. With Him in heaven. The question for us this morning is, where are you going to spend eternity? Are you still in the hole? If you are, there's hope. You're going to hear it today. And if you aren't, relish the gift that you have. Worship and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. The getting out of the hole does not reside in here. It's not you. But John does say that we can know. He says that we can be assured of it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5 with me. Everyone, John says, who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And we know that if we have been born of God, we are what? His children. We are His child. We've been adopted into His family. And if we are His children, we will spend eternity with Him. Okay, so John says, everyone who what? What does he say? Everyone who what? Everyone who believes. Now the root Greek word translated believe there is pisteo. Okay, and and this is important. Um, It means... It means faith is what it means. It, it, it means a strong, uh, a strong and welcome conviction or belief. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 puts it this way and uses the same root word for the word faith. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Do we see Jesus? No. Are we certain of Him? Yes. Do we have hope? Yes, but not a hope that is, oh, gee, I I wish, like, if you pray every five times a day and you're really sincere about it, then maybe, maybe you'll be saved. That's what some religions teach. John says, no, you have hope in, you have a sure thing that this is going to happen. You are going to have eternal life. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Again, look at verse 1. Everyone who believes, who has faith that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Skip down to verse 10. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is his testimony. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. He who has the Son has been rescued out of the hole. He who does not have the Son finds himself or herself still in the hole. Now, John, what John is talking about with faith is a specific belief. 
Okay, the faith that John is talking about is a saving faith. That's point number one in your notes. It's a saving faith. The Greek word tense that John uses in verse one makes this word believe a noun. Which means that, that we are putting our faith, we are putting our belief in something, not just whatever. It's a specific thing. So it's faith or believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that it's through Him that we are given eternal life and salvation in the kingdom of God. So unlike the sincerity of our culture, just believe whatever you want to believe, but just as long as you're sincere about it, that's true, that will happen. Well, I had a conversation with someone a while back, and, and it's kind of humorous to think about, um, but in this conversation, this person said, in, in debating about spirituality and, and faith and belief in Jesus, this person said if they were to drop a ball from the top of a building, and they believed in their heart that it would not hit the ground, it would not hit the ground. Now, we all chuckle about that, right? Because it doesn't matter what that person believes, right? They can believe with all of their heart. They're forgetting a truth about life. And that truth about life in that situation is called gravity. You can't, with the belief of your mind and heart and whatever you want to do to prove that you sincerely believe that that ball won't hit the ground, not let that ball hit the ground. Just like you can't sincerely believe whatever you want, whether it's trying to, to, to purify yourself from all sin, be a monk, whatever, try to save your way to heaven... Put your faith in false gods or false activity. It doesn't matter how much you sincerely believe that. If the object of your faith is not an object that can help you, you're going to be very sad in the end. And it's going to be an eternal sadness. It's a saving faith. So Jesus is our object of faith. It's not faith for faith's sake, because sometimes I think people think that they think, well, I just have faith. Faith in what? Well, I just sincerely believe this. Well, Jesus is our object of faith. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, Jesus says, except through me. Our faith must be in Jesus Christ, in the Messiah. That's when we become a Christian. David Jackman says it this way, Christians believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That is not just an article of faith. It is the faith. It is this alone that makes a person a Christian. We need to be perfectly clear that whatever else an individual may claim to believe or whatever, whatever other position may be held, if a man or woman does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, he or she cannot have been born of God and cannot be called a Christian. So if someone asks you a question like, you say that you are going to heaven, how do you know this? What, what would your answer be? Or maybe you're asking yourself that very question. M maybe you've wondered that. Maybe somebody's asked you, um, are you going to heaven? And your answer was, well, I'm not really sure. John says we can be sure. We can know. 
And earlier John says, you know what? There's this thing called sin. And he says, I want to remind you that this thing called sin, that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it does not disqualify you. It creates struggle and it creates consequences. But you may know this, that if you have believed that Jesus is the Son of God, you will be saved. So how can I know that I'm going to heaven? What would your answer to that be? It would be this. At first service, I asked that question. I said, do you know? And Garrett, Garrett says, yes. And I said, how do you know? And he said, because I believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. With a childlike faith. Now, of course, this faith, this belief that we have must be true. It can't just be a, you know, one of those campfire, hey, I said the prayer, I'm saved, on with the rest of my life kind of things. It's what, where have you really been? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? And I'll talk about that a little bit more later. He who has the Son has life, John says. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It isn't simply a matter of sincerity. It's very important that we have faith in the right thing. And John says that object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Now let's look at verses 2 through 5. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands, John says. This is, this is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he or she who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah, when, when we are connected to Him, our life is going to be transformed. We will be different. So let's look at what John says will be the present effects of faith. That's point number two. The present effects of faith. Effects of faith in your life and in my life. The first effect is that love will be present in our lives. We talked about last week. Um, we thought about this, and, and with the February 14th coming up, what is love exactly? That's another one of those feeling kind of things that our culture tries to push down our throats, which isn't true at all. Oh, I fell in love. Oh, yeah, really? Well, I fell in a ditch the other day. Um, it, you, don't, you don't fall in love. You decide that you're going to love that person. You commit to that person. You make an intellectual decision. Now, there are feelings along with that, but, but the unfortunate thing is when people base their relationship on those feelings, when they don't feel like they love that person, they kind of figure, well, I fell in love. I must have fallen out. No. No, you decided. You committed yourself to that person. So you remain in that committed relationship until those feelings work their way back around. And they will. It happens over and over and over again in my own life. And, and if every time my wife didn't feel like she loved me, she walked out, it would have been a long time ago. Now, I've always felt like, no, I'm just kidding. We can't base it on feelings. So, so there's this love that we receive. The Bible says that we, that we are able to love. And when our soul experiences this new birth in Christ, something begins to happen inside of us. We, we look at other people differently. We look at God differently. We experience 
our experience actually changes. Our experience doesn't define the truth. The truth then begins to define our experience. He is our Father. We've been adopted into His family. Let's live that way. Let's live as if we're the creator of the universe, the universe's adopted children. I think that's really cool. God loved us first. You know, again, that illustration where where it shows Jesus throwing the rope in, and and maybe when he first threw the rope in, you're like, oh great, now the guy's going to climb out. No, that's not the way it happened. Jesus came down here to this place to carry us out. Because of his love. And our belief, our faith in Jesus Christ, he will then begin transforming how we love others. Um, The second effect is obedience. Obedience is an evidence of our saving faith. By loving God and carrying out His commands. Verse 3, this is love for God, to obey His commands. We find lots of commands in Scripture. There are lots of things that we find out as we live this life with Christ that are, are things that we should do. Some of them are things that we shouldn't do. And, and the Bible says that if, when we're following His commands and we're able to do that, that that is an evidence of our faith. Are we always going to do that? No. That's why He's so, so open in this book and saying, you know, we're sinners. And if you think you're not, you're making God out to be a liar. Very clear about that. But as we are journeying down the road of life and we are learning His commands, we're learning new ones, we're being reformed in the old ones that we knew before. You know, ask yourself this question. Why, why do you today exasperate your children less than you did three years ago? It's because you're allowing God to work in your life and work those things out. Why, why today? Why would you forgive someone for doing something wrong towards you today when five years ago you would never, you would never have given them any slack? You would have held that over their heads for a very long time. Why? Is just some really great exercises you've been doing? No! It's the Holy Spirit in you transforming your life. I am way more grateful today for things than I was 30 years ago. And it's not just because I'm an adult now. I mean, I I want to obey His commands. I want to. Isn't it great? Uh, You know, we're in a stage of life with our kids where they're all older. They're adults, young adults. I don't know what you call a 17-year-old. Adults. And, and either they're really good at hiding it and, and, and putting on a face, or the older they get and the closer we get in our, in our parent-child relationship and the more friendship it is than parents, when we ask them to do something, they just do it. Because they want to. Not because they have to. Now, I'm sure there's times when that's not the case. As in your life and mine, when Jesus says, do this, and we, 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 we fight it, we fight it, kicking and screaming, we finally do it, and we find out that the reason why he wanted us to do that was for our benefit. It was for our protection. Obedience. And, and don't, 
don't hear me saying that, that, that you, you obey what God says so that he will accept you. That's not what I'm saying. I, I want to do what's right because he's changing me. If, if he wasn't changing me, I wouldn't want to do that. And, and something else I want to mention here that John mentions, he says that, that God's commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. He doesn't heap busy work on us like our professors in college used to do or our high school math teachers. God doesn't give us commands to just pile on the work and the burden. No, His commands are for our good, therefore our protection, therefore our growth. To develop our character and our integrity. To strengthen us, to give us understanding. To give us a strong foundation in Him so that when we experience things that the world says, well, you cannot be serving a loving God because He would never allow that to happen in somebody's life. We can look at that person and say, you know what? It's not my experience that defines who God is. He loves me. And He always will. I'm going to fail. I'm going to struggle in life. I'm going to fall on my face. But the more we grow, I believe, the less falling on our face we do. And when we fail, John says, you've got to remember that you're still his child. You're still his child. Love and obedience are effects of our faith. A third effect is victory, and I love this one. What I hope the Broncos have at the end of today. I don't know. It's going to be tough. Might have to get some lucky breaks. Not fumble it into the own end zone on the first play of the game. Talk about being in a hole. That started in the hole and never changed two years ago. Anyway. Today, when the final seconds tick from the clock, there's going to be a team who has victory. But there's also going to be a losing team. And in the family of God, there, is, there are no losers. He has won the battle for us. There is victory to be had. Victory over sin. Victory over mistruth and misinformation. Victory over weakness when we completely trust God for the outcome of something. I've had several conversations with people this week who have been put in, in some, some situations that we wouldn't want to be put in. The ending of a job and not another one in line. Wondering what's going to happen. A, a sickness, finding out something. What, what's going to happen? Well, you can know that there is victory in all of that. And it's interesting, there was a song that has been reverberating in my mind all week long, and it's, it's victory in Jesus. When I came to church this morning, I was disappointed that I asked Adam, I said, hey, what songs are you doing? He says, oh, we're doing this one, and we're doing this one, and we're doing this one. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. He's like, why? Oh, no, no reason. I was hoping that victory in Jesus was one of those songs. And then at the end of the service, they did victory in Jesus. And I'm like, wait a minute, how did I miss that? Well, Sneaky snuck it in there at the last minute. So we're going to sing that song today. And it's true. We can live our lives in that truth. There is victory in Jesus. Victory over the world. Victory over bad habits God is rooting out of our lives. Victory in our thought life. Victory in our computer and media life. Victory in our marriage and with our patience with our kids. Jesus gives us those victories. The Holy Spirit empowers us to trust Him in the midst of those things. 
Again and again we are reminded that there is one who is greater than anything we could ever experience. And his name is Jesus. He's always there. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live our lives in hiding. Love, obedience, and victory are three evidences of Jesus Christ living in us. Evidence that we have a faith in the right object, Jesus Christ. Finally, John gives us some final truth. I titled this point, Additional Evidence. So it's, it's really not another point. It's just an addition to the second point. But, but I think it's, it's important. Look at verses 6 through 9. This is the one who came by water and blood, John says, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony. But God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which He has given about His Son. So three witnesses. Water, blood, and Spirit. And what does that really mean? Well, this is what I think it means. I think that that Jesus coming by water, that John is referring to His physical birth. Because Jesus answers Nicodemus in the same way. Nicodemus says, how shall we then be saved? And Jesus says, "You you must be born both of water and Spirit. You must both be born physically and spiritually. So Jesus was physically born as a human being. He was fully man, and there were people that saw him. He was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Not only was this the beginning of his public ministry, but it was also a divine witness to his identity. Mark chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 say this. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, so we have Jesus in the middle of the Jordan River. He's coming up out of the water physically as a human being. It says that he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And I would say that that testimony of God the Father, that Jesus Christ is his Son for all those to hear, is witness and testimony enough for me. God spoke. water and spirit, and John also mentions blood as one of the three witnesses. Jesus came as a sacrifice. He was crucified, he was buried, he was dead, and he rose again. He came back to life. There is no doubt that he conquered sin and death, is there? People saw him. It's a recorded historical fact. And we can not only trust man's testimony, but God's as well. A saving faith, evidence in our lives of that faith, and additional evidence about Jesus, the object of our faith. And John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. What a great gift. What great news. And why would we ever want to keep that news and that gift to ourselves? Man, is there somebody in your life who could benefit? Somebody in your life, you look at their life and for all you know, they're in the bottom of a hole. And they're looking for love in all the wrong places and they're trying to save themselves or maybe they don't even have... My brother one time says, what is is like my neighbor, he said, he doesn't even know that he's lost. He's just fine and dandy right where he's at. But what if we could show them a hope in this life? 
that this life doesn't offer us everything that there is to be had. Take out your Connect cards and look at them. I, I just want to ask you to make maybe a decision this morning. I, maybe you would commit to doing the fur, further study and you would actually mark that. Yes, I'm going to do it. And when you walk out of here today, you have made that commitment, you have written it down, and you will fulfill it. Uh, maybe you would commit to inviting someone to church next week as a part of our upcoming series called Broken Together. I'm really excited about this. You know, if there's something that I really struggle with, it's transparency. No, not really. But I think many of us do. And, 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 and this, this next series is going to be exciting to me. So maybe you would mark that. Hey, I'm going to specifically invite somebody to church this next week. Maybe you've responded to God's call on your life during this series. Maybe there's been a moment where you, you knew, like you had never known before, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Messiah, and He was calling your name. And you responded. You said, you know what? I believe I surrender. I surrender it all. Maybe you would check that one, that you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. Put that on your Connect card. Put it in the offering plate at the end of the service so that we can celebrate with you. Now, as we, as we go to communion this morning, um, the picture which the Bible itself uses to illuminate our understanding of this life-changing relationship between Christ and His church, His people, is the human covenant of marriage. Everybody knows about marriage. Even if you're young in here, you know about marriage. For example, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, now, by this contract of two wills, there is one new unit made. One flesh, the Bible says in Genesis. That we become one flesh. Marriage begins with a specific action in time which has an effect on the whole of the future. So there's a moment in time when you stand together and you are married which affects the entire future of you as a husband and as a wife. There is a definitive commitment however long or whirlwind the courtship may have been, which marks this new way of life that you're now going to be living. When a person is asked, are you married? The answer is either yes or no. It's not, well, maybe. I think so, kinda. No, once you are married, it's yes or no. And same is true in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? Yes. Why? Because I stood before Jesus. And I surrendered my life to him just as a husband or a wife stands before the witnesses and before God and surrender their life to each other. Now, did they know everything that, that they say for better, for worse, for richer, for poor? In all things, essentially, I am, I am giving myself 100% completely to you. Now, in that moment in time, do you know what that really means? No way. Now, a lot of young couples, they are that naive to think that they know what that means. But as they begin experiencing life, they find out, man, this is really hard. And this is really good. And I got a lot of things to learn and, about myself and about my spouse. It's the same way in our relationship with Jesus Christ. When you surrender your life completely and you say, I surrender all, you don't know what that really means. There's things that he's going to ask us in the future to surrender that we thought we'd surrendered that we're still holding on to. 
I think Adam earlier said, you know, there's going to be times when we want to grab that thing back and he's going to say, no, 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 I, I want it all. If I have to pry your dead, cold hands off of it, right? I'm going to have it, God says. So on one side, the Christian recognizes Christ's authority and submits his will to him. And on the other side, the Lord Jesus lovingly accepts the sinner, calling him as his own and binding himself to his people by covenant promises that he will never break. Never. And in this quality of commitment, affirmed by a bride and a groom to one another as they give and receive rings in their marriage service, the Lord will never break his covenant vows. He draws us to trust him before we ever confess that faith in him. And as he brings us into this living union with himself through faith, we receive here and now the life of the eternal. See, eternal life isn't something that we wait for on the other side of life. It happens at the moment of salvation. Life. Good life. And that is what we celebrate right here. Jesus, when he celebrated with the disciples, he says, you guys don't understand all of this today. And honestly, none of us will ever understand all of it. But Jesus said, I offer, I break this bread with you and this bread, until I return, he says, I want you to partake of this and I want you to remember that this represents the body, my body broken for you. And, and when, he, when he picked up the cup, he completely transformed this meal that they, had thought, that, that they thought they knew was about into something completely different. And actually the Thursday before Easter, we're going to have somebody here from the Jews for Jesus organization and they're going to lead us through one of these meals and show us how that's been transformed. I can't wait. But Jesus said, when he handed them a cup, he said, this represents my bloodshed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this morning, that's what we do. You'll receive a piece of bread. You'll receive a cup. If, if, if you still kind of feel like you're in the hole and, and, and you just wonder, maybe it would be best to just let the plate pass by. But mark on that connect card, hey, I got questions. I'd love to talk to somebody. I would love to talk to you about questions about Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray and the ushers are going to, their servers are going to pass the bread and the cup, take one of each and spend a little time as Adam sings and, and then partake when you're ready. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this bread. Thank you for this cup. Thank you for these friends and acquaintances and friends that I don't have yet that I haven't met here today. And Lord Jesus, as we celebrate this table this morning, we remember the incredible sacrifice that you made for us. An historical person, God incarnate, who walked the earth and who we have been told by you that if we believe with faith that you are the Son of God, that we will be saved. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, her-
heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about His groaning Of His precious blood's atoning Then I repented of my sin And won the Me and bought me with his redeeming 